Good Gabs, sponsored by Skillskin, a nonprofit organization empowering individuals with disabilities through employment. This is going to be a great episode, everybody. Uh, a nonprofit that you need to know about started right here in Spokane, Washington, and starting to grow across the country. Uh, today, we have Kevin Finch, Executive Director of Big Table. Man, what an episode. Thanks for joining us, Kevin. You bet. Glad to be here. Kevin, I'm, we're happy to have you here. And uh, yeah, I think we're in for some stories, aren't we? There's there's a good chance of that. The well, anchor. tell us a little bit about your organization. What's Big Table? Uh, Big Table, uh, I would say it this way. Let me start with the why rather than the what. Uh, You're talking my language. All right. The highest concentration of need in our nation is hidden behind the smiles of folks who work in restaurants and hotels. So we care for them. Incredible mission. Serve those who serve us. Exactly. Well, <laughs> tell me more about that. I came from uh, I came from uh, hotels myself. Yeah. That was uh, how I started. And and true for you too, Dana. Mm -hmm. Are you in this conversation? No, by the way. Oh, we so should, uh, we've had some feedback. Um, oh, but so, for so I will just talk to Steve. <laughs> well, yeah, the, the kicker is like the camera. Apparently people are like, they, OK, good. All right. Yeah. So, OK. We just got that feedback on Monday. Our producer, <laughs> Dana, was yeah. also in yeah. hotels. That's exactly how we do it. That's right. Yeah, yeah you're, you're in a family of uh, folks here uh, in the hotel world. In the industry. Yeah. Absolutely. So I, can, I, I will be as succinct or as, uh, what, loquacious, I think is a word, <laughs> as, you, as you want. So just... Um, Tony will cut all this stuff out, and we just keep going. Okay. So. so he'll he'll put it all together. Okay. Yeah. So you want to hear more? <laughs> yes. Okay. Yes, we do. Um, let me start with a little bit of how Big Table kind of came into being. So in moved to Spokane in about '99 from Seattle. Okay. So this has been home for a while. Home for a while. Um, uh, started moonlighting as a restaurant critic uh, for Spokane Quarterly Living, and the well, Bozzy Media. Bozzy Media. All right. Uh, and then. Uh, the Spokesman Review, and then the Inlander, kind of all in the early 2000s. Right, and when like a restaurant scene started to happen, too, right? Exactly, yeah. So when, I, when we moved here in 99, the search committee that hired me took me to um, some amazing restaurants. And, uh, and I'm thinking, man, I didn't think there were any good restaurants in Spokane. Coming from Seattle, I was kind of pouting. But... Um, once we moved here, I realized they had taken me to every good restaurant <laughs> <laughs> right. that existed in uh, in '99. Uh, so Moxie, Mazuna, those uh, uh, were one of those on Mizuna, that list. Mazuna was on the list. Yeah. Uh, Luna was on the list. <laughs> yep. uh, Cafe Five Ten. If you yeah, remember, I totally Cafe remember that. So, yes, uh, I have. You know, there's moments when I think wistfully of Cafe Five Ten. Um, so, I came here then started writing about food and that was just took, kind of fell into it the the food writer for Spok uh, Spokane Corley Living moved and they were kind of desperate for someone to review the Wolf Lodge Inn out um, you're like all right I'm gonna, so, I'm gonna get on the highway here well, we go so they said would you do this I'm saying 
let me get this straight. You're going to pay me to go out and eat, and I just have to write 300 words about it? Um, yes. <laughs> so I start writing for them. They like it. Uh, the spokesman had lost their permanent person, Leslie Kelly, who was doing kind of food and reviews, and they were looking to kind of freelance that out. And they like my stuff, so I start writing for them as well. And then just, and then again, similarly with the Inlander, they just we, once you're in that kind of conversation with folks, you end up doing it. So totally, I'm just having a ball, getting paid to go out to eat. Yeah, and sounds awesome. I didn't get paid much, but enough to cover the food. And I, for the first time in my life, I could invite friends out and say, "Don't worry, I've got the bill." You know, <laughs> perfect. So I, um, so I start writing about food. Uh, getting to know chefs, hanging out in restaurants, uh, trying to do that at a fairly high level. They're kind of the influencer approach to food reviewing is you go to the restaurant and say, I'd like to come in, and the understanding is that you're going to pay for my food, um, and then I will say nice things about you. Yeah. Um, and you're like, hmm. Um, so it wasn't really an independent review. So I was tried to be anonymous and function like an, a, a food critic in a larger kind of first city market in the country. That's awesome. What and a gift to Spokane yeah. and the readers. So I'm having a blast. I tried to be gracious. There were a couple times I got food poisoning, and I would go back to the editor and say, maybe I could write a very funny review about <laughs> this place, but why don't we spend our, our column inches on restaurants that we want to suggest people go to and let, uh, That's let, awesome. let the market take care of the folks that are doing really stupid stuff. <laughs> Um, and they were gracious enough to let me do that. So I tried to stay on the more positive end of the um, the scale rather than like the Ratatouille critic who took delight in tearing people apart. Well, thank you for that. Um, so doing that, somewhere in probably about 2006, so I've been writing about food for five years, um, my spidey sense starts to go off. And I'm thinking, man, it seems like in this industry um, – Behind the smiles of the folks who work here, there's more concentrated need than I'm seeing anywhere else in the community. And so I started poking around online and realized it wasn't as bad as I thought. It was 10 times worse. Oh, man. Um, largest industry in the nation, just restaurants by some count. And if you add in hotels, it, 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 you could it say— eclipses it's, it, it's, right? Yeah, it's like could be double the size of the next closest industry. And in that— um, Highest rates of drug and alcohol abuse, um, poverty re levels double the next closest industry. Wow. Um, stress levels, um, changing schedules, all these things that you just go, oh my goodness. And I went from having this cushy little review side gig to going, I'm now feeling really guilty that I'm getting paid to eat out and all these folks are there's a lot of these folks in this industry that are really hurting. So my solution was going to be I will donate a little bit of money for, that I get from restaurant reviews to whatever organization is helping them. So I look around Spokane, can't find anything. There's got to be hmm. – yeah, yeah, who's, yeah, who's doing who's that? Who's helping? Yeah. Look at Seattle, nothing. Washington State, nothing. West Coast, nothing. And wow. It, I, I'm just starting to – more and more incredulous as I look – Eventually, I'm looking at the entire country, and again, this is 2006. There were a million and a half nonprofits registered with the IRS in 2006. 
there wasn't a single one in the nation that was focused on caring for what I now knew was the largest industry with the highest concentration of need. So there's this moment, you're like, what am I going to do about it? Yeah, well, it was a little emperor's new clothes moment of like, isn't anyone else <laughs> noticing what I'm doing? And it was um, interesting that in this period of time, I'm talking to, I mentioned to the woman who runs a, a family foundation in Seattle that I knew, you know, no one's doing this. You know, I really think something needs to be done about caring for restaurant and hotel folks. And she laughs, she just laughs in my face. And she says, Kevin, if I had a nickel for every time someone came to me as the director of a foundation and said, we need you to support this because no one's doing it, I would be even richer than I am. <laughs> <laughs> but you're like, no, this is a legitimate and, and need. I said, and what I said was, great, if you have resources to find this organization, then I don't have to do anything about it. I can just donate to them. And she goes, I'll get back to you. She calls me back a week later and says, Kevin, I don't believe it. You're right. There is literally no one in the nation caring for the largest industry in the country. Incredible. In that number, and I don't, if you're a, a lover of dogs and cats, um, this will land one way or the other for you. <laughs> I there, think our listeners love animals. Okay, so for you listeners that love <laughs> dogs and cats, uh, just to let you know, there are over 40,000 nonprofits in the country that care for dogs and cats. Well, so. Your pets are covered. Yep, they're covered. But if you work in the restaurant and hospitality industry, you might not be. Uh, <laughs> and out of a million and a half, absolutely there should be 40000 to care for household pets. But if that's the case, then wouldn't there be a ton of nonprofits caring for the millions of people who work at the bottom of the employment ladder? You uh, would hope so. And the answer is there aren't, there aren't at least in 2006. So... That's a little bit of the setup for Big Table. Um, and then you decided that it's time to start this. Well, um, I... <laughs> it's a big story a, when you have to raise your hand and be like, who else is going to do it but me? Well, I, I thought something needed to be done, but there was a problem. My day job during this time is I was a pastor in town. Yeah, that is problematic. <laughs> and for anyone in the restaurant and hospitality industry, the second they found that out, it was instantly the end of the conversation. I could clear a table in 30 seconds. Uh, I was just thinking you were too busy. Okay, so no. it's just the perception. The perception of that. Um, and I, I actually, once I figured this out after this had happened three or four times, I called up a woman who I knew was a server and knew was a Christian. And I said, hey, why is it that anytime I mention <laughs> I'm a pastor, no one will talk to me? And again, she's a Christian. But her instant response was, oh, Kevin, as a server, I hate Christians. <laughs> why? Tell us more. Why? Why? She said, uh, Christians are the most uh, demanding customers that ever walk into the restaurant. They're the stingiest tippers that ever sit at my table. And they take the tables for too long, often to study the Bible. I hate Christians. And we beg not to work on Sundays. Worst shift of the week. I think my wife said something about that. She said Denny's for a very long time. And I think I've heard a similar yeah. story. Now, and the bigger story behind that is that's not everybody. There are some incredibly gracious folks who would be Christians. Naturally. But the folks who are most obviously identified as Christians are the <laughs> biggest jerks. And so jokingly, when i in a church setting talking about Big Table, I'll say, here's the deal. If you want to pray before your meal when you're out to eat, go right ahead. But if you pray, you had, and I don't swear, <laughs> but I... 
want to say you damn well better pay. Um, and I don't mean 10%. I don't mean 20%. You tip 30% if you bow your head to pray because you're making up for the person who prayed before you and then stiffed that server. That's an incredible challenge. So I love it. So, so then, okay. Then you're like, all right, I got a problem. I'm clearing right. tables. Right. So what I'm, do you do? Well, so I realized that my title as a pastor was actually getting in the way of caring for the people that I thought needed to be cared for the most. So it took me two years to get up the guts to quit my job. Uh, but I, that's what I did. Um, it's brave. I, I can, if I, if, if what it takes to, um, there's a, there's a passage in the New Testament that says, I've become all things to all people that I might um, save some uh, and translate that care for some, however you want to care for that. But there was this idea that if this title is a problem, well, that's easy to fix. It, I, I still need to figure out a way to put food on the table and do other things, but that shouldn't be the, the barrier. And so it wasn't. So in That's um, a real commitment to service of others. So like... Well, and I was clueless enough that I didn't know what I was getting into, of course, too. So January 1 of 2009, I'm sitting in my basement on the South Hill going, all right, what do I do now? And, uh, of course, I picked the perfect time to start a new nonprofit, which was in the middle of a recession. Yeah, right, where, where everything was crashing. Yeah, I actually announced to the church that I was leaving the day before the stock market crashed. Um, and by the end of that week... I turned to my wife and said, do I need to go ask for my job back? I just quit <laughs> as the economy is in free fall. Um, but the amazing thing about Big Table is every step of the way, there's been just enough for what we needed to do next. And that, if that's not a sign, what is? Because the need right at that point, too, just Terrific. Yeah, it exponential. Yeah. So, so that was the start. The vision has always been that what changes people's lives is not triage care, but it's a relationship. It's people in someone's life that, that, that move beyond just a transactional relationship. And that obviously sounds a lot like what I understood in my experience as a pastor was, how do you care for people? That's gotta be personal. So our vision from the beginning was to use crisis care, entering people's lives to do crisis care to earn the right to be in relationship with them over time so that we could build new capacity and hope into their lives. I love that. Um, another way to describe what we do is, first off, we empower people to care for each other. We know that language in our world in yes. the disability space, yeah. skill skin. And, um, and the way we, we think that's powerful. Yeah, and then we um, enter their lives with humility and grace rather than kind of an arrogance and we can, we've got this, we're gonna fix this for you. We eliminate barriers and that might also resonate with- Sure does. Eliminate barriers uh, in the midst of that crisis. And then we invite them into an ongoing community where they can begin to imagine a life of abundance. I love it, yeah, we, we call it, um, you know, creating opportunity and empowering people. Mm -hmm. It's like, it's- mm -hmm. That, that's the world that we want to see. Well, and, yeah. and one of the cool things about that empowerment piece at the beginning for us, when we say we empower people to care for one another, our model isn't an ask for help for yourself model. We function on a referral. I read that when I was looking at Big Table. That's cool. So someone has to like care yeah. enough about a human to yes. make the ask. And what that, um, 
what that does is it completely changes the relationship from the beginning. So rather than someone coming to us and trying to prove that they are in worse shape than everyone else that's asking for help to get to the front of the list, um, someone who, a manager, a coworker, uh, could be someone that just walked into the restaurant and struck up a conversation with someone, goes, this person's hurting, reaches out to Big Table, gives us some information. So then the first contact that that person in crisis gets is not them asking for help, it's us calling them up and saying, hey, Steve mentioned you're going through a tough time. Could we buy you a cup of coffee? How cool is that, too? That's just a... Uh that right there would just make someone's barriers go away. I imagine them. Like, yeah, yeah I'll, I'll, I'll get a cup of coffee. Let's chat. Yeah. All the shame that you might right. have. Like, yeah. Like, Oh, someone referred me. Yeah. And That's then we're, cool. and then we're not saying fill out this form, prove income levels or anything. We're just saying, tell me your story. So what, talk about some stories. Like <laughs> our listeners, I know want to understand, like, what is the need? What, what are people in this industry struggling with? What other things are you helping with? Everything. <laughs> well, How and, human. Yeah. And and so rarely often. So that referral will come in and it usually, and we have kind of a, when you're selecting that on our website saying putting in a referral, there's, it's, there's five areas that you can say, here's the crisis need. Uh, it can be housing stability. It can be emotional, mental uh, wellness kind of support. It can be medical, dental, uh, job readiness, or addiction. Um Interestingly, probably behind the scenes, and given the statistic that the highest rates of drug and alcohol abuse are in our industry, I would say easily 60 to 70% of the folks that get referred to Big Table probably are dealing with uh, some substance in an unhealthy way. That is a big percentage. Huge percentage. Um, it's not, but it's, sadly, it's not that much higher than the rest of the community. We've got a lot of functional addicts sure. in this country. Um, it was a general manager of uh, the Tavolata, not here, but in Seattle years ago. So the, GM, the original. Yeah, the original Tavolata in Belltown, who looked at me when he heard what we did and says, Kevin, we're an industry of functional alcoholics. And if that's... There's someone, movies about it. Yeah. It's celebrated almost. Which is oh, yeah. kind of messed up. I mean, so that was kind of one of the things with Anthony Bourdain on the front end, the Kitchen Confidential kind of buzz, was look at how screwed up this industry is and kind of a glorification of that. Um, so uh, that's a huge kind of thing sitting in the background. Rarely is addiction the thing that gets re referred to us on the front end. That's usually something that once someone trusts you enough, they go, gosh, maybe... I can talk more. Maybe this is something that I also need to be working on. So that's that relationship piece. Once exactly. you're in a relationship with Big yeah. Table, we're talking about the whole person. Yeah. Since the pandemic, hmm. uh, massively the biggest need has been around housing stability, people that are about to get evicted. And and we yeah, have- Yeah, communities across the whole country. Yeah. It is the issue. In every one of our cities, that's number one. Uh, mental, emotional- um, kind of struggles is probably number two. And that's been, actually that's been, as housing has dropped a little bit, that's the one that's been bumping up. So, but those, the needs are all across the board. Uh, what we do, and again, uh, one of the things that I've noticed, we care for an industry rather than address one issue. Right. So uh, I don't know if you've heard the phrase, uh, to a guy with a hammer, everything looks like a nail. 
<laughs> I am not familiar, but I love it. And I think that once uh, nonprofits, if they do one thing and they do it really well, anyone that comes to them, they go, well, we can help you with this. Yeah. We can give you groceries, but we can't do anything else. We can't do anything about that. You got to go somewhere else for that. For us, when we Sounds said, like the healthcare industry, too. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. There's a specialist for that. Uh-huh. Yeah. That'll take you about six months to talk to them. Um, here's a list, um, yeah. um, which is often the case in the, in the nonprofit world, too. Here's a list of all the resources. But if you're calling those numbers, well, first of all, you may not have a phone or your phone might be dying. You're, if you're in crisis, maybe you can't pay your phone bill. Sure. Now you got a list of these numbers, and every one of those calls, you're going to get a you're going to get an answering machine, and probably it's going to say, "Great, we're out of funds for this month. Call again on the first of next month." Or come in person, right? Or, or so the transportation is an issue. Still up. Yeah. So all yeah. of these pieces. So for us, and again, it's not like I had all these great ideas. We just kind of stumbled into this based on the principle of relationship. You sit down with them. What's the need? And so immediately from the beginning, we're trying to look at the whole person and go, and, and often that care coordinator on our team will ask them first, what's keeping you up at night? What's the biggest need? Is there something we can do about that today? And that's kind of- Building the, trust from day one. That's the crisis response at the beginning. But then that's not, okay, check, we've done that, see ya. It's how about a cup of coffee um, next week? And let's just check. And then- you can over the and that could be over weeks it could be over months in some cases it's been over years where we've walked alongside people where you start to address things that um, move them from kind of a life of crisis to a life of abundance that's a real choice as an organization right to are you are you going to stick with someone for the oh, yeah. long haul or is it just yeah i don't want to say check in the box but it's kind of is oh it totally is i mean right well and and one of the reasons you do that is because that's where funding follows. The funding looks for numbers. That's so, one of my big gripes of the nonprofit world. Mm-hmm. I know some of my listeners, you know, our listeners, sorry, good gabbers, but it's the way I feel. It's like we're really good at making sausage, but we never taste it. Yeah. And that's just. Y- yeah, you don't want. And, and we you, just you're almost afraid. Output. It's just output. You're almost afraid to go, is this actually changing people's lives? Um, or because probably the answer is long-term, no. So that's our commitment is to, and we know that's more expensive. We know that, um, uh, there's the numbers. Someone will say, well, why should we give to big table? This organization over here helped, uh, 5,000 people last year. You guys only helped a thousand. But the outcomes were different. Yeah. Yeah. What did you do for those 5,000 people? That's something I, I should add on that movement in the nonprofit industry to show that transparency of outcomes is just that is good for everyone. Yeah. It just holds us all accountable and it's better for the you know, the folks that we serve. Yeah. So I love that about your page. When I was looking at the website, um, you know, you that's front and center. Like yeah. this is what we do, this is where the money goes. I love yeah. that. Yeah. So we we have tried to do that um with We've tried to imagine, and we've asked our team that when they're spending some money, <laughs> imagine the person who's given 50 bucks a month and is on a fixed income but loves what we do. 
if they were looking at that budget expense you just made, would they go, yeah, that's a good use of my 50 bucks? Or is that like, really? Um, and I think that uh, we would put that in the category of good stewardship. Of just Absolutely. Of people's funding. Well, so big table, it's like starting to meet a need here in Spokane. It's growing. Mm -hmm. Obviously, other people saw this and wanted to bring this to their towns because now you're in multiple cities. Some big cities. Yeah. And we. Um, what happened? <laughs> um, well, um, my initial funding strategy for Big Table in Spokane was get to Seattle because that's where all the money is. Makes uh, sense. Um, ironically, uh, this might be interesting. The, the, this common sense uh, didn't hold true. So um, when I, we hired our first additional staff member part time, her name was Jill Lemon. She's an organizational genius. All right. Um, Hi, Jill. Yeah. Uh, so what? Um, and she goes, when I offered her the job, she said, I'll take the job on one condition. You got to shut up about expanding to Seattle. And I said, why? She says, because we're not ready. We don't have insurance. We don't have accounting software. We don't have a care manual. And she, in, in 15 seconds, she listed 10 things that we needed before we ever thought about expanding. You're like, okay. Well, actually, I thought... <laughs> I'll say yes to her, and then I'll, within a couple months, I'll convince her. Um, it The exact opposite happened. She convinced me that we had no business growing until we were ready. So that conversation took place in probably 2011. So that's almost and six, five years deep into it. Well, it started in yeah. 2009. Okay. Because I didn't, I, it took, I was, took you know, a couple years. I was pretty nervous. Um, but, um, it was four years later, she came to me and said, all right, Kevin, I think we're ready to expand to Seattle. So we expanded to Seattle in 2015. Uh, we're in Seattle, had a team in Seattle for for five, six years, did $2.2 million of care in the Seattle market. And at the end of 2021, we had to close Seattle. And the reason we did is because Seattle couldn't support its own team. Wow. We were funding... Seattle Spokane. from Spokane. So, so yeah, deep, you had these thoughts. Irony. Wrong. Oh, all the money's over there. <laughs> and and so what I would say but to Spokane's Spokane filling is, the need. Spokane is a is may not be as wealthy a community as Seattle, but Spokane, in our experience, has been a far more generous community. I love hearing that. Um, so and and what we've looked for then in future cities is rather than us just going where we think we should be, we wait for people to say please come. So San Diego, Smart. please come. Uh, Nashville, please come. Uh, most recently, as of March, Colorado Springs. I was thinking Denver was going to be it. No one, nope. in, no <laughs> one in Denver said, please come. Uh, somewhere upwards of 60 people <laughs> in Colorado Springs said, please come. So we went, hmm, okay. Um, I'll be in Fort Lauderdale in about another week because there's folks there saying, please come. And we're going to see if that makes sense. That's um, cool. Santa, I just love that. Like, Yeah. So San Antonio is also on the list. But one of the things you'll... So this you, is a movement right now. Like, um, I sure hope so, because an organization can't do the job. But um, one of the things that's really intriguing, if you, list, if you think through those cities that I've just listed, is those would all be cities that I would describe in the nation as what I call second cities. And Spokane is the quintessential second city. 
I mean, I'm sure you've yeah, seen. Yeah, Visit Spokane calls us that. <laughs> I've seen it. In the, well, not in only that. Flyers. What yeah. about the the grassroots campaign of the shirts that say Spokane doesn't suck? Right. What? Um, what? I want to go on record on that too. By the way, I think that's a terrible. Slogan. Oh, it's horrible. Okay, it's like, finally, I have a friend you're, here. You're reminding people that <laughs> someone thinks you suck every time you put that shirt on. Agreed. Re- yeah. um, so it's just so goofy. But that is a <laughs> that's a quintessential um, second city approach. Like, well, gosh, we're not Seattle. Um, Actually, right now, I'd say, um, pardon me, Seattle's a bit of a dumpster fire. Right. Um, and Spokane's, um, Spokane's an amazing community. Doing amazing things, right. supporting amazing projects. Yeah. Absolutely. And back to my original point, Spokane has been incredibly generous. Um, and so as we've looked around the country, one of our criteria for new cities is not only champions there saying, please come, but we're looking at second cities. Eventually, if this continues to grow, we'll end up in a New York or a Chicago. But it would we could open four cities nationwide for the cost of one New York. Right. So you can help a lot more So we people. can help a lot more people by not going where everyone, the common sense says, oh, you got to be in New York. It's the food center of the world. No, we're going to go is. where people want us. Right. Or they are asking us to come. So It's a great model. Uh, so far, it's been really fun. Yeah, I bet. The future is bright. And thank goodness, too, because if there's no one supporting folks, you know, in these industries, yeah, who else? So what are the questions or what what do I need to where do I need to you asked about the referral piece? Sure. Um, So actually, I kind of shared that. But the fun start about how we did that was the very first dinner we did. If you might remember Jeremy Hansen when he had Sante. Yes. Um, I love that restaurant. It was great. Their um, their gnocchi that he had on the menu for years was the best gnocchi mm-hmm. I've had anywhere in the nation. So just shout out to Jeremy and his gnocchi. It was good. <laughs> um, but he cooked the very first dinner that we did in the fall of 2009. Uh, and uh, I, I remember his main course was a rabbit terrine um, on, that, on that dish. But this is like a six-course dinner. And the model is we literally have a big table, seats 48 people. Um, That's a lot. uh, The chef uh, cooks a six, seven, eight course dinner. Just amazing food. No charge. It's not a fundraising event. It's a community building event for folks in the industry. So at the table are not the folks who can write a big check. At the table are dishwashers and line cooks and servers, housekeepers. They're the ones and... um, Actually, do you guys remember Cafe Marone when it was in? It's where Italia. Where was it? It was, it was in the uh, William and Marcia Bond owned it. It was in Brown's Edition. Uh, where, where Trattoria is? Where Trattoria Italia. I do remember. You're bringing me way back. Yeah. So the last chef they yeah. had before that went away was a guy by the name of uh, uh, Nicholas Saint, um, Solomon St. Clair. Very amazing chef. He moves to the Atlanta area after he leaves Spokane, has opened several restaurants, has several pizza restaurants down there, and has a really wonderful kind of top-ranked, nationally-ranked restaurant called Antebellum down there. Wow. So just, yeah, he's back in the business. He's back in town. What? He was back in town when we were doing one of our big table dinners here. Uh, And uh, he was a guest. I said, hey, Nick, come come to this dinner. 
at the end of the night, as he's walking out, he said this. He said, Kevin, I've cooked hundreds, if not thousands, of these dinners for people over the years. This is the first time ever that I've been a guest at a table like this. So if this is the chef of a top yeah. 100 restaurant in the U.S. who's telling me that, imagine the fry cook from uh, Arby's that's sitting yep. next to him or that dishwasher who's maybe never even been able to afford uh, anything other than the, the, the family meal that gets served at that. For them to sit at that table and, um, and experience hospitality the way that they've served, they provided hospitality for all these years. So it's back to your phrase, okay. serving those who serve us, uh, is another phrase we talk about what we do at Big Table. But what a gift, you know, to yeah. even in to be able to experience something like that. I imagine like mm -hmm. the confidence that comes with that too. You're like, yeah, I belong here. Well, I think um, the other phrase that we use a lot is what we actually do is we serve hope, um, and that um, one example of that is there was a dinner that we did up on Green Bluff, the top of Green Bluff, years ago. And one of the guys, um, I'll call him Ben, not his real name, because um, that's his story to tell, not sure. mine. But for this, for the purposes of this podcast, <laughs> Ben. Ben. Hi, Ben. Hi, Ben. Um, he's coming to the dinner. And I remember I was kind of greeting folks as they were walking down this two-lane dirt road toward where we had the table set up. And I remember him coming down the hill and then checking his name off our little checklist. And he sits down at the table. What I don't know is that in addition to working at a restaurant, he was um, deep into addiction issues and was spending all his money on drugs. And so to, to feed himself, he would be dumpster diving just to eat. Wow. Um, then he gets invited to this yeah. big table dinner. He doesn't know. Yeah, he's what like, he's, what am I coming to? What am I coming to? Um, but he come, I remember him coming down the hill toward, toward me, checking him in. What happened over the next two hours as he sat at this dinner and was served six courses, he's looking around at everyone there, and he's going, if these people, these big table people who don't even know me, value me enough to put me at this table, maybe I should value myself a little more. And that was the turning point for oh. him getting into recovery. And going on to becoming a drug and alcohol counselor himself. Incredible. Um, so that's the kind of uh, joy that we get to do. Uh, obviously, there's lots of tragedies when you're dealing with folks whose lives are in crisis. Oh, yeah. Um, and there's a lot of, dang, we missed that one. Or we didn't, we didn't get there fast enough. Um, but sometimes it comes together. Yeah. And, it's and people want to change. Right. And that just that little bit of help yeah. Yeah. and opportunity... Yeah. Knocking down some doors in front of them. Uh, Amazing. I'll tell you another story, if stories are Please. helpful. Uh, love stories. Love stories. Okay. So um, Desiree Segetti, she and her mother run uh, Camelini's up north. And she hired me. I have never been there. I hear that the estate is just absolutely it's, gorgeous. It's gorgeous. And uh, uh, Frank Camito, who's currently their executive chef, does some amazing food. He, For years, he was at the uh, the country club. Uh, the Spokane Country okay. Club before it was sold to uh, the tribe. Um, so Frank's doing some amazing fun stuff out there. Um, I got to bring my wife. She's going to be so happy. <laughs> yeah. But um, so Desiree interviews a new bartender uh, to work 
there and hires her and she gave me permission to use her name so her name is nicole hi so, nicole hi nicole uh we need to have coffee <laughs> soon um um when desiree is watching her because there's windows on the front she sees nicole go out to her car and instead of starting up her car and driving off she's pushing her car out of the parking spot and so desiree goes out and says is everything okay and nicole goes oh yeah my car doesn't have reverse and there wasn't a parking spot that i could park in where i could just drive forward out of it so this is just it so desiree helps her push her car out notices also that it is a convertible and this is Spokane. And yeah. this is a convertible where the top keeps getting stuck. So and probably shredded. So this is a single mom, three little kids, who's driving a car with no reverse uh, that turns into a bathtub anytime it rains or snows. So as she's driving away, Desiree picks up the phone and calls me and says, Hey, Kevin, I just hired <laughs> a new bartender. She needs a car. Can you guys get her a car? And we are on a shoestring <laughs> Right. You're point. like, what? I'm like, I don't know. But one of the favorite things, and again, it wasn't a plan. It was just what happened, but has become a way that we kind of function is rather than say no, or we've never done that before or that. Instead, our response is, gosh, uh, let me see what we can do. And I'm thinking, and quite frankly, praying, <laughs> help. Yes. And I get a phone call from uh, someone who knew me from when I was in Seattle. And they said, hey, Kevin, uh, we got a car that we want to donate. And we were going to give it to Cars for Charity, but just just thought that I would ask you first if wow. you needed a car. This is 24 hours after I get the call from Desiree. And I go, um, yeah, actually, we could. So I flew over to uh, Seattle, drove the car back, and we got to show up at Nicole's house uh, and give her this car. But he, interestingly, Jill, who's our... Uh, organizational genius who made the call to Nicole uh, called her up and said hey Desiree mentioned you're going through a tough time we've got a car that we think we'd like to give you Nicole's response so this single mom three little kids with the car that's horrific her response is so typical of so many people in the industry goes she said isn't there someone who needs that more than I do wow service uh, this is an industry of hospitality and so what a heart. Jill said, no, I think, Nicole, this is a <laughs> car for you. But when we go up to her house to deliver that car, she comes running out with her three little kids. And her oldest son uh, says, as we're handing her the keys, says, Mom, try R, try R, and see if it works. And Dang. so all four of them climb into the car. She backs up three feet in the driveway and then pulls forward again. And it's like, our work they're screaming loving it <laughs> um so that's the that's that's, that's the crisis care impact but here's what i would say in terms of that's i think one of the reasons i love nicole's story is because i think it is a great example of our model three years later as i'm um as i'm in a conversation with nicole so this again so this is three years later still in connection with nicole have supported her along the way and that she said, you know, Kevin, I just need to tell you something. When you guys gave me that car three years ago, um, that changed my life. That allowed me to stay in school while I was working. It allowed me to get the kids to school and all of that. But I would trade that car in a second for the chance to have been in relationship with you and Jill for these last three years. 
Wow. Um, so for me, that's the model of what we want with each person we engage is that they would go, the crisis help was good, but this relationship was what changed my life. And uh, over time, they're going to help someone else, I imagine. Oh, yeah. Yep. Our favorite referrals mm. that come in now, because we say, how'd you hear about Big Table? And more and more often, how they heard about Big Table is they said, oh, you helped me two years ago. You helped me five years yep. ago. Um, I'm paying it forward. So. Well, I know our listeners want to get involved. Like, um, please, Kevin, tell us how that we can join this movement and, you know, be in service to those who serve us. Yeah. So if you go to our website, we have a document that you can pull up called How to Care While Eating and Sleeping, which we think is pretty funny. Um, but it, um, and Jill would describe this as uh, just how to be nice because <laughs> it's none of what we do is rocket science. Mm -hmm. It's relationship. So there's all kinds of fun little ideas for how every time that you walk into a restaurant or a hotel, you can be building relationship and caring for the people that potentially up to now until you've maybe heard this conversation, were invisible to you. Typically for folks in the service industry, the hospitality industry, the only time they become visible if is something goes wrong. Then they're way too visible. Then someone's looking at their name tag, calling for the manager, whatever it is. Or the only time they're addressed by name is in a very patronizing way. Right. Sally, could you bring me another iced tea? And oh, extra lemon. You know how I like that. Um, if if I was Sally, I um I I would do that because I want I need the tip. <laughs> but I'd want to wring that guy's neck. Of course. Yes. Um, and so instead, one of the things we do is just encourage people to, to introduce themselves to the person serving them at the beginning of the conversation, but do it like you would someone that you're meeting, not in a service capacity. So you don't say, uh, tell me your name. You say, hi, my name's Kevin. What's your name? Yeah, you're walking down the hallway of your hotel and maybe yeah. you see, you know, some of the service cards. Yeah, yeah say hi. Yeah. Don't ask for, you yeah, know, thank, a bar of soap. Yeah. Just be in relationship. Yeah, you just yeah. you just pull the soap off with this hand while you're shaking <laughs> that, so pack it in your bank. No. Yeah, it doesn't take so, much to be nice, right? Oh, it, doesn't. it doesn't cost a thing. And so one of the things that we do that is particularly fun uh, is what we call an unexpected 20. So these are little envelopes. It's a tip envelope that you can carry in your wallet or purse. And the idea is that what you would do is you would put a $20 bill in there when you're in a restaurant or a hotel, you look for someone that's invisible to everyone else. And before you leave, you just walk up to them and say, hey, this isn't a tip, this is a gift. Make sure you look inside. And when they open that up, there's 20 bucks. And it wasn't transactional. They didn't do anything for you. Yep. Um, it blows people away. They were just seen. My favorite way to use them is to have built a relationship with my server through the course of the meal that feels not patronizing. And at the end, when they bring the bill, I say, hey, Sally, to use our fictitious person. Um, I hey, don't need that lemon. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't need the lemon. <laughs> no, hey, Sally, I'm going to leave you a great tip. I'm also going to give you this little envelope. Inside's 20 bucks. Would you give this to the person in the restaurant who's having the worst week or the toughest day? And usually there's this kind of look of what are you doing? This isn't the normal interaction <laughs> here. But once they look, and sometimes they'll even actually open the envelope and look inside to see that $20 bill. And then their eyes light up and 
90% of the time they go, I know exactly who needs this. Absolutely. And that's amazing impact because they do know. Of so course they know. They know. And then they, who weren't in a position to care for that person, get to care for that person. So you actually in, impact two people. That's a force multiplier. Oh, it's so much fun. Uh, how do you get an envelope? You go to our website and ask for them. It's very uh. easy. And there's even a, a printable PDF that you can print about and make them at home. If you're kids, you can cut them out and fold them together. It's, it's, a, it's a blast. If you've got kids, they love it. This is a wonderful way to, to begin to teach them to notice people. So you say, all right, we're going, we're going in here. You're going to decide who we give this to. And it's amazing cool. how excited kids get. No, like, can I can I peek into the kitchen when I go back to the bathroom? You know, see who's back there. So it's just so much fun. So we've got a whole list of things you can do that are very simple. Uh, but my favorite really is these unexpected twenty envelopes because um, they're magic envelopes. Once that's in yeah, your wallet or your purse, you start to see people that were invisible to you before. So, Kevin, we love it. Um, Good gabbers, you heard it here. You like what you're hearing. Get on Big Table's website. Come check out about the magic envelopes and <laughs> see if you want to donate in, you know, a different way. This is an incredible organization and we're just so glad to have you. Thank you so much for joining us today. You bet. 